Welcome to the Matt Hummer Podcast, episode 31. I'm Mo, I'm here with Luke and Jonathan. How are you, fellas? Pretty good. Yes? Yeah, good. good. Yeah. Brains out of 10? I'd say a solid 8 out of 10. 8? Solid Big. 8 out of 10. 7. 7, yeah. Yeah. Feeling about a 7. Uh, a little bit tired. I'm, Let's get I'm, I'm too excited to be here. <laughs> no, no, mate. We love it. Uh, don't forget the new issue, or latest issue at least, of Metal Hammer is on sale now. It features our world exclusive interview with Disturbed. You will not read about the new Disturbed album where David Draven has been, all the rest of it, anywhere else but here. You've got about a week or so left to get your grubby mitts on it. So get all over that immediately. Those of you that have been asking about whether we're going to be doing a Disturbed bundle, pay very close attention to metalhammer.com on Friday, possibly Monday, but in the coming few days. We'll have something special for you guys because a few of you have been asking. Uh, it is coming, so watch this space. Uh, it's been a bit of a quiet week yeah. in the world of metal as far as gigs go at least. It's normally packed this time of year, isn't it? But it's not quite as quite as Larry. You've had loads lately and none of us have left the house, I don't I think. Don't know if it's like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know if it's to do with like sort of in the wake of festivals, but um, it just, just soaks every gig up. Yeah, a lot of bands have done the rounds and, and all that. I did um, go and do a, a conference for the lovely people at Music in Nottingham. So thanks to everyone that came down for that. It was lovely to meet people, talk about Metal Hammer and the metal industry and everything else. So that was jolly good fun. Uh, plenty going on in the world of metal outside of that, though. Such as Luke Morton. Such as. Oh, I see. <laughs> that was, wasn't my smoothest thing. That was a segue to news. <laughs> um, yeah, exclusive. An exclusive announcement through Metal Well, the exclusive announcement. Come on, what's going on? Meshuggah are headlining Arc Tangent next year. Fucking hell. The only UK gig of next year. I wow. want to welcome my new alien sounding overlords. <laughs> <laughs> that is going to be a gig. You went to Arc Tangent this year, Luke, reviewed it on the podcast a couple of it weeks did. back. Uh, yeah, one of the kind of most exciting young British festivals going, and they just booked one of the greatest live bands in metal. And it makes complete sense for that festival. Like, well, half the bands on their bill, uh, Meshuggah. Well, that's, Disciples of Meshuggah. Well, yeah, you think a lot of what they do is, I guess, post-metal rather than tech-metal. There's a lot of just, you know, fret-wanking going on. A lot, a lot of the bands sort of go over my head. But, so you say, so many of those bands must owe a lot to Meshuggah and just to have them come in and play. And the, the tent they've got as the main stage is like this sort of big marquee thing, quite high ceiling, but a massive stage. To see the Meshuggah stage set on that is going to be amazing. Well, initially, Gent was a euphemism for we sound like Meshuggah. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> and um, and they just, I, it's it's a difficult one putting Meshuggah on there because they will blow. No matter how good every band is, yeah, they will that will show you what true mastery is. They're like my favorite live band, and they're the the band that I go like absolutely fucking crazy to in a mosh pit. I've witnessed this firsthand and yeah. can confirm. Yeah, so, but I, I I get a weird weird phenomenon every time I mosh out to Meshuggah. Is that normally I've gone to other mosh pits, I'm fine and everything, but. Meshuggah, I'm out of breath and my arms are aching after like one song. <laughs> and I have to think, why? Why is that? And the reason I realised is that the music sounds like made for like bodies with more joints than the human body actually has. <laughs> so, so, um, you have to make up for it. So yeah, so I feel like I'm overcompensating for it every time like, I'm mushing out. And yeah, just do weird things to your brain and just, there's, nothing, there's nothing to compare to them, even though lots of people do try to compare to them. Very cool. We do have an exclusive interview with Meshuggah about what they have planned for Arc Tangent and what else they've got coming up uh, in the next issue of Metal Hammer, which is on sale next week. We'll be going into more detail on that on the next podcast. Hooray. Who bloody ray. Uh, speaking of hooray, oh my word, one of the biggest metal tours ever, probably, you could, you could safely say. Yeah, it's 
mad. I, it's Aussie and Judas Priest. Aussie, or not just Aussie, Aussie Osborne's last ever full UK tour. Yeah. Supported by Judas Priest on the back of their best album in 25 years or more, I think. Nearly 30 years. It's going to be a night out, isn't it? It's going to be a night out as well. Yeah, I hope they just um, give Priest a full sound, not give them like backing band PA yeah yeah I don't think they'll do that for Priest if it was like a new band they might you know yeah. do them injustice but I think it's Judas Priest you yeah, know no, what I mean? I like, they all know each other no of course not. you've got to assume Priest That'd are probably going to get an hour as well like, or, or something to be on before Aussie. so that's going to be wicked yeah it'll be a proper I mean it's at the O2 so hopefully Priest will be able to bring uh, some of their stage show. Yeah. Um, from when I've seen Ozzy, I would say Ozzy doesn't have as much of a proper like stage set as Priest do. So hopefully that'll it'll, it'll mean they can bring all their little bits and bobs and, and props and stuff. So I've never seen Ozzy solo. So um, yeah, we talked about this before. Yeah, I, I, I tell you what, there's not there's not rarely been a better time to see him because quite honestly, he I found him up and down on the Sabbath reunion dates that ran across those few years. Um, I've seen him twice since Sabbath. And both times he's been vocally maybe the best I've ever seen him. Oh shit! Okay. That, yeah, like I mean, you know, he is sixty something, so he's going to be kind of not bounding around stage quite like he used to, and all the rest yeah, of it. But yeah. vocally, he honestly sounds really, really spot on. I don't know what's got into him, but it's good. I'm gonna try and go to the Birmingham show because that'll be a big. Oh god, yeah! There. Didn't even like, think of yeah, that. Both from Birmingham, both playing, but I imagine I think it's the NEC. The home of metal. Best time I saw Sabbath ever play was in Birmingham. Uh, me too. Where, when they played the the smaller yeah, venue, uh, yeah, that that venue, yeah, that was wild. Times there, but yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that should be great. Please play more stuff from the '90s albums, please. Anything <laughs> off Moses and uh, off Osmosis and No More Tears, and I'll be moshing like a maniac. <laughs> please. What else is going on? Well, Villavallo has announced a new band. Ah, what Vill did next? Indeed. The what question is, might will soon be answered. <laughs> yeah. what do we know about it we, we don't know much really there's a new single coming this month uh, and the band is it's called Villa is it Villa Valo how do you actually say his name Villavalo Villa Valo Villa 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 Valo Good. <laughs> I've never really heard it out loud I've met him at least twice and now I feel bad that I think I might have been saying his name wrong all this time <laughs> he's like hey Steve <laughs> 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 hey Vile. Yeah, let's go with Billy and and Agents because he's teamed up with the guitarist and from the band Agents, Issa Palainen, blatantly pronounced wrong. Uh, and they've got yeah, a new single coming on the twenty first. Uh, yeah, on the twenty first of September, and the album is coming next year. And apparently, they've been doing this for years. Wow. It's, it's been it's been three. Didn't, didn't you know? Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's three years in the making. Apparently, this this uh, this new project but I don't know what to expect really I'm guessing it won't sound like him maybe it will from what I have heard um, it's not going to sound a lot like him uh, I think it's going to be like you said something he's been working on for a few years by the sound of it a bit of a side project that he can now get out of his system now that him is no more mm. rest in peace um, and yeah I, I imagine that whatever this will be it, it probably won't be the next thing he does if you know what I mean I don't think this will be like the definitive Villa Velo thing for the next few years no. I think it's a project he's been working on a while and then maybe we'll see something else from him down the road a bit, a bit maybe it's one of those projects where like you kind of you get together with some friends and you sort of run through your record collections and it's kind of like in a particular retro style mm. so maybe like an 80s 
synthwave album, you never know. It is wishful thinking on your part. <laughs> oh man, I, I reckon he'd be great at putting together something like that, to be honest. You yeah. never know. I, I, I imagine, not, not musically, but I imagine it's similar to sort of what Nergal's done with me at that man, like something he also oh, really interested okay. in doing on the side. Um, again, I've not actually heard any of it, so I could be talking trash. But well, it that's sort of, what it sounds like to It does sort of have yeah, that, that me and that man vibe in the same that, um, what was his name, the guy Nergal did me and that man with. John that Water, something like that. <laughs> um, just sort of like this acclaimed older musician that Nergal was a big fan of, and they just ended up working together. It sounded like this has that similar vibe to it, really. I said, I don't know the band Agents that he's worked, that he's teamed up but with. But it, it may be something really different from that other band, from Agents as well, too. Maybe they just do like a proper old school blues record or something. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Or a jazz record. I thought, I thought, jazz is coming back, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. I'm telling you now. That's your hot tip, is it? My hot tip. God help us. No, I, I love jazz. <laughs> a, bit of, a bit of Finnish elevator music. Could be good. Why the fuck not? Uh, <laughs> there's been some, uh, well, not, not kind of particularly milestone anniversaries this week, but we've been talking about two big albums this week. Toxicity was one of them. I was jamming that on the way in today. That turned 17 yesterday, yesterday, I think. as we record. Called yes. it one of the greatest metal albums of the 21st century on Instagram, and a few people took umbrage at that. And I thought, really? ridiculous. What's the matter with you? Yeah, idiots. It's fucking toxicity. Like, it's... It's a 10. <laughs> it's a 10. Uh, so, yeah, one of the greatest albums ever. No doubt about it. Anytime the title track or Trop or Aerials gets dropped, it's Bedlam. Aerials is fucking At brilliant. At a rock club it. is what I mean, but of course... It's just in well. your house. In my house. <laughs> on my iPod. Uh, and Power Slave turned 34 this week as well. The grand old age of 34. As the Iron Maiden oracle of the podcast, where does Power Slave <laughs> sit in your, uh, your well, rankings? Uh, it, I think Power Slave is one of those where... I think the great thing about being an Iron Maiden fan is that they've been so consistent through two very specific patches of their career, the 80s and the 2000s. I think yeah, they did a lot of great stuff in the 90s as well, of course, but I think it's generally accepted that those two uh, ends of the sandwich, if you will, that is Iron Maiden. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I don't know where this is going. Um, those are kind of the, the two uh, golden eras, as it were. And I think what your favourite Maiden album is or which one you gravitate to, as with many bands, just depends on what your first one was or what you know you kind of grew up with. So for me, I think Power Slave, I think for most Maiden fans, it's kind of generally accepted as the definitive Maiden album. I, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Whether it's your favourite or you're not, it's not your favourite, it's seen as the... If you're going to play someone a Maiden album, I think a lot of people gravitate towards that. Yeah, I, th- I think there's two ways of looking at it. I mean, it's a 10 out of 10. It's an absolute classic. I actually but... think there's one or two faults with it myself. Interesting. But, uh, but, but um, it's one of those things where like it captures lots of different aspects of the band. Yeah, exactly. Like the early, you know, the earlier harder bits and the bits of the progressive elements that came in later on. But that also kind of means that it's kind of a sort of transitional album. Like, you know, like... In, yeah. in some ways, I, like, like, I see what you mean. Yeah. Like, like my, not, not only my favorite Morbid Angel album, but my, probably one of my favorite metal albums of all time is Authors of Madness, and I love it because it's a transition album. Like, because that album could not have happened at any other time. Like, in the sort of the, the changeover from thrash to death metal, mm. and so there's lots of different energies there um, that couldn't that couldn't have happened at any other year. Yeah, a weird um, one for me like that is, uh, I know it sounds like a bit of a weird tangent, but no um, music for the digital generation by The Prodigy is mm. my favorite Prodigy album because it bridged 
the kind of weird psychotic rave of the first album mm. into the big beat heavy kind of almost like riffy dance music that they did on uh, Fat of the Land. Yeah. So I know what you mean. Like sometimes yeah. bands find that middle ground, which to some fans is it's perfect. That's yeah, like, but also there's like with those kind of albums, there's real kind of energy there, like people testing out their powers. Like, um, like you know, also Madness has this wild energy, but also on a very different tip, I really like Reroute to Remain. Just, By Inflames, really? Yeah, yeah because um, they're... It's a great album. Yeah, because you can, you can tell the excitement of all this new stuff they've got at their disposal, like ideas and things they've got mm. at their disposal, and there's a kind of real amazing energy for that. Definitely. Um, so when it comes to Power Slave... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I see what you mean. Like, after this, they went into Somewhere in Time and then Seven Sun, which yeah. kind of brought in, like, really heavy synth, more progressive elements. Um, Seven Sun of a Seven Sun, personally, is my favourite 80s mm. Maiden album. Uh, but I mean, Power Slave's right up there. I was like, I mean, Ace is high. I struggle to think of a greater opening heavy metal song yeah. Yeah, yeah. ever. And it's and just, it is metal yeah. in of itself. Oh, yeah. And, but, also, <laughs> but also, like, what I want to. Like, I don't think I've. Ever, yeah, exactly. I can't, remember, I can't remember the last New Year's that I had that wasn't two minutes to midnight. And uh, <laughs> I, had to, I actually had to demand, I went to like a metal night and I was ch- chatting to the guy who's running it. Uh, for New Year's and I said Boy, he wasn't going to put two minutes to midnight I actually demanded he play two minutes to midnight <laughs> <laughs> do you know who I am <laughs> no just you can't have a metal night you can't go to metal you can't spend New Year's yeah. without it yeah without very two, two minutes to midnight and a very prophetic uh, song as well yeah um, yeah I mean it, it's a great album like, I know what you mean about um, you know it being a little bit imperfect but I, I struggle to find a bad moment on it I mean, okay. I, I tell again you, it's kind of the middle section, maybe when you start with Aces High and Two Minutes to Midnight, and you close with Back of the Village, Power Slave, and Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. yeah. I mean, it was any band would struggle to could be that consistent throughout an entire album. Like those are five of the greatest metal songs ever written, mm. all within the space of eight tunes. But I don't. There's nothing on there. I don't think. I think lost actually. for words is it's like. Um, it's daft, but I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that, like, like some of Which applies to a lot of metal, to be yeah. honest, that I like. And it's just, it's just that some of the twin leads, it sounds like music to a gardening show in the 70s. <laughs> okay. Okay, I know what you mean. Alan Titchmarsh losing his fucking mind. <laughs> and as much as I love um, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, I love the fact they have like a long song leading up to it. And when you listen to and what I love about it, it's like when you listen to it, it doesn't start out like it's going to be 30 minutes plus, you know, because it's, it's, it's got such a tall kind of riff. And, um, and so, but it, it does kind of keep changing, but then it, I just feel that for its length, it doesn't go off on, on enough of a journey because the, the sound is kind of quite clipped on it. Yeah, like the, the later, longer songs, like especially nowadays, their long songs really take you Yeah, yeah. Places. And I, and yeah, and I just felt that... It doesn't like, sit on one page um, someone. It feels like it's a little bit constrained uh, for a thirty-minute song, like sort of like the sonic range it goes through. As much as I love all these sh- dynamic shifts, so um, but you know, there's other bits, there's other riffs that like um, so you know, it's why I always think when I listen to a Maiden album that it's you think it's not exactly rocket science, but no other band on the planet could do this. No. So there's certain riffs and the way they put certain riffs together um, that. Um, it's just only you could ever do this, and um, and I, yeah. So I still it still has all the things that I love about it made now, but but it's just um, when you love a band to that extent, 
you know, you're probably a bit more critical sometimes than you would be other way. Yeah, or you're just a blind fanboy like me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. But yeah, it's I know I know Dom Lawson, esteemed Hammer legend. It's his favourite Maiden album. Uh, I know it's, it's a lot of people's favourite Maiden album. And like I said, I think if I was gonna play someone, if someone said play me and I made an album, I would mm. strongly. I think I would almost certainly play them mm. Power Slave. Um, but as I said, it pro- I, I personally I would rank. Seventh Son higher, maybe highest out of all of them, and I'd probably put Number of the Beasts higher than that as well. But yeah, what an album! Happy birthday, Power Slave! Happy birthday, Power Slave! <laughs> and Toxicity, which Woo! is right up there as well. Which I prefer to Power Slave. That's fine. I, oh, I might as well. It's kind of sacrilegious, isn't it? Yeah, but after all that. I know. Well, we'll do we'll do Toxicity another time. That, that yeah, a year from today. A year from when it hits the big eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've got tons of readings questions with well very interesting points to go through this week don't forget it's www.metal uh, no oh, fucking hell every <laughs> time not every time I'm going to write last week facebook.com forward slash metal hammer readers um, we had a reader that joined the group this week from Cuba did you oh, see this uh, I did not see this I saw you tweet about it yeah we had a reader join the, uh, the, uh, the Facebook from Cuba and he basically was talking about how he loves the magazine and he's it's really hard to get physical copies of Metal Hammer where he is he's managed to collect about 20 of them and they're like prized possessions of his uh, another reader clocked that commented on it and said that he doesn't always get physical copies but every time he does once he's read it he's going to send it on to this other guy oh, one amazing. absolute hero nice. so yeah we love you guys. Thank you for supporting us and supporting each other. You guys rule. Um, this this question, having said that, comes off Twitter because it's someone called Rhythm Eight E Eight. Ah, So there you go. Uh, that person asks, "What do you consider the best prog metal at the moment?" Gajira. Oh, we count Gajira. Okay. Well, I only be. Yeah. yeah. This is what my first thought was. What counts? Yeah. Well, that's okay. The thing. If Gajira counts, then yeah, Gajira. That's. Uh, yeah, so they're the second one I wrote down because I thought everyone likes Kajira. But I also wrote down Tesseract. Yeah, out of the gent scene. Uh, Tesseract, definitely the best band. And I think in that scene. they've sort of, to use a word you use, Jonathan, transcended uh, the uh, gent scene. I mean, they've become a slightly different band now. After seeing them at download this year, it feels like they've just become an expansive metal band, if that's a phrase where it's like it's less about going and it's more just like fucking how the sounds of these songs is amazing <laughs> that's what that sound like that. you doing that <laughs> yeah. for like a text tone um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so, so, so what they're doing now like the past two albums have been brilliant and the live show is ridiculous yeah. now it was it was it, I think it went under the radar a bit um, until we banged on about it that Tesseract show at Download but that was definitely one of the highlights of the weekend yeah I think it's the best band I saw on Friday that's awesome um, yeah, back that, back Tesseract, back Gajira. The other one I've got written down is the Mars Volta, who I think are fucking incredible. I don't get anywhere near as much recognition. Are they yeah, still putting albums out? No! Because no, it says at the moment. I don't know at the moment, but they're still relatively I absolutely going. love the um, Mars Volta. Yeah, I think And um, I, I've got a thing about, I love his voice, I've got a thing about squeaky voices, I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> that and yeah, but, in the brain. Yeah, but they're just, but yeah, you know, they're, they're an amazing live band as well too. Yeah, I've seen the live. I've seen the live. Listening the live once, and I thought it was shit. Um, uh, I saw them at the Brits Academy. I, I loved it. I think if it's their own show, I think it would have been great. I think I mentioned it on the podcast before where they just treated it as a jam session, a sonosphere. Couldn't really be asked. But Boo. but Bedlam and Goliath, I think, is incredible. D-Last in the Comatorium is like a ten out of ten album. Uh, Francis the Mute is amazing. Like everything they've done is 
so good. And mm. yeah, if you like, if you don't know the Mars Volta, then listen to the Mars Volta. Yeah, it's like, blow it's, your like, mind. it's like a constant present tense. It's like, it's just, <laughs> it's That's just like, amazing. It just, you know, everything just, every, every moment just seems so in the moment. But then all, all these sort of scenery kind of keeps shifting around it. Yeah. And it's because it's just, it's just got this momentum to it. That's just, and his voice, because he's so rapt when he sings. And it's, it's genuinely joyous to listen to yeah, yeah, because yeah. of his voice. Like the song on uh, D-Louse, I think it's called Roulette Dares, is just, I think that chorus just always makes me happy. Mm. It's so good. I love it. But yeah, listen to that. Wow. Yeah. Um, I've also got written down Michigan, who we've already talked about. Um, <laughs> I wrote down Avenged Sevenfold LOL. Nice. Because the stage <laughs> is a prog metal song, so that counts. Yeah. Um, and, and, if, and if the question is, like, what's the best progressive metal, like metal that is properly progressive and can be treated as such, then the red and the black of the last I made now in Book of Souls is one of the best prog metal songs of all time. So, yeah, it's a hot. Take, I right? mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. Where would you draw the line between, say, avant-garde metal and progressive? Sure. For instance, like, say, in the black metal world, you've got bands like Death Spell Amiga, um, who just will just warp your brain sonically, mm-hmm. um, and Bluetooth Nord, who just um, is that progressive? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's certainly they're doing Maybe. something different. It's pro- I mean, there's progressive. And then uh, the question says prog metal. I guess prog is quite a yeah. So I want to re- specific like, genre in its own. Yeah. Way. So when it comes for me, when it comes to progressive bands, it's not really just about how technical you are or no. kind of thing. Like the bands that I really love are the one I keep going. Like, this is the song I keep saying every time I'm here. Just like they kind of create their own worlds, mm. um, and they're kind of they're sprawling. But it's that sprawling nature that actually helps give you a sense of this kind of space beyond, you know, that existing beyond the record. So two from Norway. Uh, another one, I won't go on about too much, so I've gone about them before, is Madden Morton, and the new album is great. And well, they're good. Madden Morton. They've been going for you know, about maybe 20 years now. Uh, kind of a critics band, um, but incredible female singer, uh, Agnetta, and just the warmth and the, and, and the way you talk about Cedric, the way he's, Cedric, the way he sings, mm. It's got that kind of wrapped in in the moment feel to it, just completely fearless. Um, another band like that, not in t- I mean, on a, on a similar tech and a similar, on the same label, uh, Vulture Industries, uh, getting less metal as years as time goes on. But again, they, they have this kind of sense of very strong sense of kind of slightly Victorian, um, but apocalyptic world where um, you, just, you can kind of find yourself living in. And on the British front, two bands I think are doing amazing things at the moment and getting more progressive with each album is Voices. I think mm. every time I hear the new Voices album, and it's, it's gone on a very different tack from the previous one. I've lost a lot of the black metal elements. There's, there's still some left, but not many. And um, I th- every time I listen to that record, it gets better and better and better. I'm trying to think it's actually a bit of a masterpiece. Mm. And. Uh, yeah, that's going to be super high when you get around to it in my albums at the end. And it's great live, and it's just again, it's just like there's people with there's so much intensity behind it. And uh, yeah, the last album in London was obviously ahead of its own really intense world. And also, uh, a Forest of Stars, who were oh, yeah. who were amazing at Bloodstock, and the new album is fantastic. And they're getting more progressive, losing a lot of the some some of the black metal elements. And no band creates a world as much as they do. They've got the whole kind of Victorian, black thing, apocalyptic Victorian thing going on. And, um, it, you know, the videos are incredible. Um, you should all go and 
look for Gather of the Pure on YouTube, you'll never see a better video in your life. It must have taken months to produce. And the amount of detail that they furnish their own world with is incredible. And again, it's just, it, it, it sounds like someone going mental in, a, in, like in Bedlam and having all these visions. And, Amazing, and but, but musicians get kind of becoming much more warm and rich, and yeah, uh, one of my another one of my favourite UK bands. Awesome, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there's lots of kind of more uh, what people would describe as standard prog metal bands that we've probably missed. Um, El would probably yeah, be screaming into the yeah, mic. Like, I mean, obviously, Oh <laughs> yeah, well, yeah Opeth, yeah. yeah. between the Buried and me. Yeah, um, yeah. enough morale. Yeah. incredible as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it definitely feels like not only is prog metal or gentle tech or whatever you want to call it bigger than ever, but it seems like, like you say, Jonathan, way more bands are feeling more fearless to just branch out and get more expansive and get more yeah. bold in there yeah. somewhere. You could even say Ranzi Pazuzu as well. Absolutely. Like, kind of and yeah, but I, you know, I love Forest Lost. They've got the, that, that warm, progressive feel mm-hmm. that's it, Opeth have got. Definitely. Um, Adam Turner asks uh, with reference to Eminem dropping a surprise album today in the past which metal band has given you the biggest surprise be it album single cover that was never expected what an album that Eminem album is as well unbelievable Uh, I've met not many metal bands have done the surprise album thing like properly done it Um, Cancer Bats did it yeah on the same day that Sleep did it Okay, so yeah, a few have done it actually. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Lamb of God kind of did it. They announced it a little bit far in advance, but no one knew they were working on it. Um, Avengers is the big example. Mm. I'm going to go out there and say, before we pick some surprise stuff, I'm going to go out there and say, I don't think this surprise album thing works for metal bands. I really don't. Uh, I don't, I can't think of any of the bands that have done it where you'd say, them surprise releasing that has done more for them than if they properly let everyone know it was coming and, you know, pushed yeah. it and did it a more quote-unquote traditional way. I think it was realistically, obviously the surprise albums work if you're already massive. Yeah, like massive. But the thing is, Avengers are yeah, the biggest, didn't, didn't second biggest metal them? band of the 21st century yeah. after Slipknot. I know he technically started in the 21st century, but you know what I mean. Um, and Avengers would be have been the first to admit, you know, they they didn't. It sold significantly less, and they've they've said in in our own interview back in uh, May, I think it was, that they might have done it a little bit differently, or maybe it didn't work as they planned. But um, yeah, I don't. I I just think metalheads as a culture like the chance to get excited and feel invested yeah, yeah. in an album yeah, before I, it comes yeah, out. Yeah, I was just about to say, you know. The anticipation, yeah, mm. totally. You know, because you know, Melhead's, you know, a lot of the old school ways of listening to things, Melhead still kind of have like you know, that's why vinyl is really big. Um, I remember like the anticipation of, um, you know, putting a needle on a record, waiting for the runner, yeah, you know, running through to hit. I remember like reading about a band of magazine when I used to read magazines as a kid, but you'd have to wait like two weeks for it to mm-hmm. uh, to actually hear it. So you'd spend all that time imagining what it would be like, mm. and but so by the time it came out. You know, you're kind of already invested in it, mm-hmm. and you know your, your imagination is invested in it as well too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you lose opportunity. I mean, the the sleep album could have been was potentially such a big event, and just like oh, and then just like, but also because um, you know information moves so fast these days that the the you know, the surprise of the album's out, 
or get washed away by the next thing. Yeah. Because there's, yeah. No, there's no, you haven't built any foundations for it to kind of stick, like you said as well too. So it's just um, you know we, we live in a much faster information culture now, and there's so many more releases than there probably was back in the day. So it's it's just like oh, and then it's just like next thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like the sleep album, kind of people almost kind of forget there's a sleep album. This I think people forgot there was a cancer bats album. Yeah, and that cancer bats album's fucking great as well. Yeah, so much really better than the one before it. It's riffs and riffs and riffs and riffs on it, but um, it just seemed to it's slip under the radar. Well, I don't, yeah, because it seems like a kind of a vanity project in a way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I kind, yeah, I kind of, yeah. I guess it depends really. Like, I can't really imagine like Liam Cormier doing like a va- vanity project. But no, no, no. In, in a sense that um, you think, oh, let's let, let's just shock people with an album, and they love it so much they'll be like, oh my god, wow. Yes, I th- yeah, I do think so. And and I think to be fair, in some cases, bands have probably just gone fuck it. You know, they don't want to do things the traditional way or whatever. I think when Avenged did it, it felt like a cool thing to do. It was a fresh idea for them. Short of Metallica and probably Tool, I can't really think of two metal or any metal bands that I think could genuinely get away with it. If a new Metallica album dropped tomorrow, people would go fucking nuts. Especially if it was like, what well, I think the reason Eminem's has, has hit so hard is because A, it's really good, and B, he's tearing the shit out of all these rappers on it. Mm. Um, if Metallica suddenly dropped an album and it was like the fastest, thrashiest, most urgent thing they'd done in 30 years, then it would definitely blow yeah. the internet up. Yeah. But, but I think maybe... That's yeah. one very specific example. But maybe if the Avenged album being a surprise wasn't a prog album and instead was harking back to uh, the old school events do you think it would have had a better it would have performed better do you think oh, it was that's because, a good question because it was a surprise but it's also a left turn like it, doing both at the same time is probably the mistake there not the fact that it was a surprise yeah. it was the fact that it was like you didn't know this was coming and most and, and his eight and, minute song yeah, so and there's no guarantee yeah. you're going to like it whereas I think with the Cancer Bats one and the Sleep one it was like, here's what we do best. Surprise. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think with the Eminem album, it's like, here's what you want from Eminem. Yeah, but surprise. Yeah, it's, and same with yeah, the Beyonce album, you know, the Jay Z album that came out as a surprise. It was just his us being really good. Whereas I think yeah, well, and also I mean, because they, they that that Beyonce and Jay Z album, they kind of it's got Beyonce rapping all over it, and it's got loads of mad stuff on it. Yeah, so it, it it felt like I don't know. People seem to be very into it. Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, and, to fair. and obviously they are you know, about ten times the size of Avenged or whatever. But I think if Avenged came out and just did a fucking balls out metal album, it would have, it wouldn't have felt like as big a damp squib as maybe it, the stage it upon its sort of like surprise mm. release. I think I think I think doing two, doing a left field and a surprise is a risky, risky. Thing. Yeah, I, mean, I think the Eminem made sense because the last album got such a kicking. Yes, yeah, it was. Yeah. So um, if, it, if, if he'd um, if he'd sort of announced this one ahead of time, people would go, "Oh my God, what's he going to do now?" You know, there's that danger. I think people would have been not that bothered. I mean, I, yeah. I couldn't stand the last Eminem album; I thought it was awful. Yeah. And when I woke up next day. And and got a Spotify alert saying there's a new Eminem album. I kind of went woo, and I, I think if I'd heard there was a new album coming in like a year or something, I'd probably have checked out after a few weeks or something. But I was yeah. like, that's interesting. Gonna go and check that straight out. And yeah, second you listen to it, you're like, it takes about two minutes for you to go, oh my god, this is different to what he's been doing. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's like it works if it becomes an event. Mm. Exactly. Um, yeah. And if it doesn't, it looks a bit kind of sad and totally tawdry. I mean that for me surprises with albums like we said there's been a few that 
bands have done, but obviously we're in the media, so we get a bit of a heads up on that kind of stuff. Um, for me, it's been real left field music turns that you weren't expecting. Yeah. So the two that came to mind was when I heard Parkway's Ire for the first time. Yeah. I remember sitting in a room with their PR um, playing it and the opening bit, the bit when Destroyer goes down, 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 I actually burst out laughing at first because I was like, <laughs> what? Are you fucking serious? And then Vice Grip played and I was like, what's happened to this band? What's going on? Um, and after a while, I got into it and now I think it's the best album they've ever done. But it really took me by surprise. The same thing happened with the new Ghost album because you really have to get used to the fact that it's so cheesy and so pop in places and so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of shimmery 80s vibe going on. Um, by the time that saxophone came in on me, asthma, I was like, what the fuck is going <laughs> on? But again, now I think it's I think it's an instant classic. Well, not an instant classic. I, th- I do think it's going to be looked on as a classic album though. Um, and also I do remember, speaking of Metallica, they did just drop Hardwired, the single out of nowhere. Yeah. And uh, I remember I was, <laughs> I was actually at a gig with my family watching Faithless at Brixton Academy. Amazing. And I got this notification and I was just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I've got to make a phone call. <laughs> so, yeah, that was three that genuinely took me by surprise. I've, I've actually been to uh, like two album launches for like completely left field turns for bands. Really? Yeah, the first one was um, Hypocrisy when did Catch 22. And um, it was at the Municular Bass offices, and um, so Catch Train 2 is one where they went kind of slip knotty. Mm. And all these Germans, just you could see them seething. <laughs> this, this is not right, this cannot be. And it's just like, you can see all their, all their pencils tapping on the tables, just, um, no, no, this is not good. <laughs> Amazing. And um, yeah, we went to the, um, went to the listening session for uh, Morbid Angels, Illards. You know, the one where they went kind of industrial. Yeah, yeah. I like that album. Good, well, okay, there's three of us on the planet. Because um, <laughs> I thought, me, and this includes, I thought me and Don were the only two people on the planet who actually liked that record. Well, you're the most metal guys at Metal Hammer, so if you like it, I can give you a good album. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, we're, but I know when I'm in a minority. And, um, <laughs> but yeah, there was a lot of amusement in that room at that time as well. Too, yeah, okay. like, what? That was a crazy left turn. Yeah, it, it was, but then they'd already had, um, they'd had done, done industrial stuff with um, uh, Lieback before, they did a, the EP with Lieback, mm. and so it wasn't like completely out of the blue, and it still had all the Morgan Andrew craziness, um, and... They still had that song, that Kick the Cup song, that yeah, yeah, like yeah, but it was... Gold like, Dagger Buzz Yeah, buzz I really liked it because it was Stratton's album. Yeah, and the one before that, Heretic, it was just basically Trey's album, and it sounded really insular. And I, I much prefer Edit to that because it's one, you know, it is kind of ridiculous, but it's like really strident at the same time. So, um, yeah, so there's been a few things like that. 1349 doing a Dark Ambient album, which was not entirely successful. Mm. Um, Mayhem with um, uh, Audio KO, which is one of the strangest and most amazing, like within one second, I knew this was going to be my album of the year. Mm. Uh, but it was like real left field turn, even for Mayhem. And I think it's one of the greatest records I've ever heard. What about you, Martin? Any bands that have taken you by surprise? Not in terms of like going massively left field or anything like that. I think it's when bands go more accessible and I end up liking it is mm. when it sort of surprises me. It's like that the Marmoset album. I remember when they released. I can't remember the first single was off the album. Was it Born Young and Free or something? And I, no, it was. Um, no. Shake High. Yeah, and hearing that again, like, oh no, they've stopped being that 
weird little mathy band that I liked who were always opening for everyone. And they're going like, oh, fuck it, now they've sold out, blah, blah, blah. But then, in, then as soon as the album dropped, it's like, no, everything about this album's amazing. Uh, this band are obviously brilliant. Yeah. yeah. That's a classic maybe. Yeah, and it was just like, okay, you've changed, but I really like it. Same with, do you think Mastodon, like I, when they did The Hunter, every, I saw a lot of people ragging on that online going, oh, you've just written singles, this is rubbish. And I was like, no, it's like, like it's all like, kill. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're idiots. Like, you're, like it's, 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 not, it's probably the least progressive thing they've I done. Think that, I can't think of many amazing. bands that did some that two so different albums. I mean, Crack the Sky to The Hunter was yeah. a crazy yeah, joke. But, I but think, they both sounded like Mastodon yeah, in their but, own ways. And I don't think many bands could do that. And I think both that both those albums are great. Yeah, I think The Hunter's probably my favourite album. Yeah, but it's it's kind of been if you could you could predict that they would do something like The Hunter after Crack the Sky, because there's a lot of cases where a band does something like really huge and progressive or a double album. Yeah. And then the next one they kind of take stock and they they need to go back and do um something Bangers. Something a lot more stripped down, like not do the same thing not sure. not, not try the same thing twice. There's been quite a few cases of that. You know, both in metal and outside of metal. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just thought of another really big example was the Suicide Silence album. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of the flip side of that, where I really wanted to like it because I really respected what they did. I've talked to Eddie about it loads of times and he believes in it and he believes what it stands for. And I believe in it and I believe in what it stands for. I just didn't think musically it was good enough. No. And that's, that's all it comes down to. I've got no issue with what they did. I just didn't like how they did it. No, I was not into it at no. all. Which is a shame because it, you know, they could have that could have been an album which took them to the kind of size that I think so. Sometimes probably deserving the grand scheme of things. But yeah, yeah. I mean, so the one before was great. Oh, absolute world destroyer that album. Yeah, um, I mean world destroyer. I mean, there's, been, there's been lots of cases where bands have tried something. Well, you can't stop me. Something different. Yeah. yeah, and they've had to like go back. Obviously, um, Paradise Lost. You know, they went kind of down these sort of mm. more sort of industrial goth route. My Dying Bride did a kind of a very different album with point three for whatever it was, you know, the decimal point of yeah. one. And it was just not a good album and they're just like I bands feel they have sometimes feel they've got to like go off and do something different. But it doesn't normally last. It's just like, okay, that didn't work. We'll go back to doing what we do best. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Uh, let's take another question from the lovely, lovely friends at Facebook.com forward slash Matt Hammer Reading. Um uh, okay, so this is Chris Haylock. It's a longish question, so bear with me. Are there any songs you like which are almost perfect, but there's one little thing that ruins it? For me, it's Moth to Flame by Metallica, such a good song, but the guitar solo ruins it for me. It sounds like a duck being molested. Oh, I want to know how you know what that sounds like, <laughs> to be honest. Um, oh, no, I love that song. Uh, yeah, I think that whole song is unbelievable. Best song Metallica has written in 20 years or something, I think I said at the time. Um, something came to mind, and it's not a song I absolutely love, but it's a song I probably would really, really love if it didn't go so cack at the end. Um, Beating Heart Baby by Head Automatica has... <laughs> that metal anthem. Well, all right. Uh, <laughs> it says any songs. Yeah, yeah, all right. yeah. Um, The pitch change at the end Yeah. is the worst I've ever heard the key change sorry I mean at the end is the worst I've ever heard in a rock song it's so awful I was DJing a rock night on Saturday and someone played it and when it goes into that like it's awful it doesn't work like even the band sound uncomfortable singing it yeah it just doesn't it doesn't work at all I think it takes a good song and just ruins it also um, not really the same thing but 
I have to skip on the end of If Eternity Should Fail by Maiden of Book of Souls as soon as Zombie Lad comes in at the end and starts doing that. Today is no Oh, right, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. It's a, I love Maiden's goofiness, but it's a little bit much for me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only thing that gets skipped on that album, so there you go. I can't remember what the, what the song title's called. Now, what's the one onto the Locust where the kids' choir oh, comes in? This is who, who we, we are. are. Yeah, like I, I really like onto the Locust as an album. I know it gets panned a lot by people. I, I think it's a good album. I, it's good. It's something I, I really like. But I think when the kids' choir comes in, it's just falls off a of fucking Absolutely cliff. awful. Yeah. I remember saying at the time, if Metallica had done this, they'd have been torn to shreds. Yeah, like there would have been no question about it. It's, yeah, bad idea. Kids' choirs can sound creepy. Yes. Just not on that one. I think the new uh, Behemoth album will soon yeah. prove yeah, everyone yeah, right true. on that. Hint, uh, hint. Yeah, Floyd it works. Floyd's a really good example. Rodrina, last album, had Kids' Choir, and it sounded like some kind of like kids' army going to come and take you over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, I, I definitely agree about that particular Kids' Choir, though. I think the biggest issue with Unto the Locust for me was it just wasn't quite the album that people wanted after the Blackening. I actually yeah. think Bloodstone and Diamonds was that album. Like that, if that album had come out after the blackening, I think it would be a bit of a different. Which people don't story. talk about enough. Us, uh, well, Bloodstone. Yeah. Unbelievable album. So, so good. I'm going to listen to that after this podcast. Uh, any any bits that ruin songs for yourselves? I don't know about ruin songs, but um, like, uh, there's like a famous thing on a, on a talker album where it's like, you know, one of the, one of the true cult black metal artists. And then throughout this one song, and then I can't think you hear the rest of it, and there's this weird, like, boing. For really? no reason. It's just, throughout this album, it just goes boing. But it's like a really, like, unresonant... Well, like cartoony spring sound. Yeah, like. yeah. And it's just a spe- really unresonant boing. They're just, is there it. for no reason. And, and then one of his later albums, more recent They albums, put a donk on it. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah. What a reference. Yeah, yeah. there's a sudden, like, banjo Our break. mid-2000s. Yeah, this one, this one is, is kind of black metal, and there's a sudden, like, Banjo breaking it for no for no discernible reason whatsoever. Wow. Uh, so that's like that sucks. Hey? But I will not be listening to that. Um, <laughs> no, nothing wrong with banjos. No. Oh no, absolutely not. In, in its own, there's a time and a place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But black metal has never been considered with either of those. No. Fair. <laughs> uh, this is a good one and something I've sat and drunkenly done many times. If you ran a festival, uh, this is Hugh Thomas Aiden. Sorry, that's asking this. If you ran a festival and had unlimited funds, what would your headliners be and any other bands you would book? I've got my headliners and it's not. That. I can guess at least one. Is it Slipknot? It is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's Slipknot, take Iowa in full. Oh, yes. And then an encore of my choosing. And But the other two, I'm not metal at all, unfortunately, lads. It is Oasis, because I've never seen Oasis. Oh, hold on. Yeah, okay. And uh, Pink Floyd play, uh, reunited oh. playing exclusively pre 1980s material. Nice, uh, and it will be fucking brilliant. And other other bands I booked, it's just I don't know what else I'd put really. I was written down Let Live and Converge because obviously I'd pay Let Live to get back together. But um, that's pretty. That's my headliners. I work out all the bands I'd book elsewhere. But fuck, that's what I want. I would go to that a hundred percent. Who are your headliners, man? Me. Um, so I've got Maiden. I'm, I'm a bit predictable here, but I've got Maiden. Um, if you'd asked me this about six months ago and I'd been picking a set list I probably genuinely would have picked something like they've just done on the Legacy of the Beast tour no. so something like that uh, a good mix of old stuff but definitely some some 
newer stuff as well. I'll definitely throw things like Passion Bell back in there. I'll have him playing um, Alexander the Great. Uh, I'd definitely still have him doing Flight of Icarus, definitely have him doing Clans Man. They'd probably have to go about three hours to fit it all in, but it's my festival, do what I say. Huh. Um, I'd have Metallica playing a real rarity set, lots of 90s stuff, stuff in the 80s albums I don't play quite as much. Um, definitely playing I Disappear in that as well. Uh, so yeah, big bands playing rarer stuff, um, and I would probably have The Prodigy nice as well just one of my all time favourite bands and then I've just got a list of bands that if I was chucking bands on a bill tomorrow I'd definitely do um, I'll probably have Ghost Parkway Drive and Gajira as my sub headliners nice and then just spread around the place I'd have Lamb of God Merc here I'd have on there Code Orange Power Trip and Venom Prison who we just had on the Hammer Tour of course Vane uh, Carpenter Brut uh, yeah that's as far as I got just off the top of my head but I'd get Diamvor to play. Oh, yeah. Diamvor would be amazing. That's like, I saw them at Reading a few years ago. They yeah. were fucking unreal. I, oh, and I've run the Jules play as well. Definitely. On a metal day as well, just to make it a weird thing. I don't know why I've written that down because I just said it, but yeah. Run the Jules. Nice. And I, I'd get Frank back in Gallows for a... Uh, nice. For a... Uh, nice. To play before Converge. Oh, definitely. If, if we're doing that, then I'll have Newstead come up with Metallica for a few 90s tracks. Nice. As well. Yeah, I think, well, if I had unlimited funds, I think I'd probably spend it on, like, making it like a multi-century experience. A <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, 5D cinema. Yeah, so I would probably, yeah, yeah, Pink Floyd would be amazing, but I'd get them to do all these sort of later period spacey stuff. All right. Um, I'd basically get around to Pazuzu, my other favourite live band of all time, and just go, right, you have unlimited budget, guys, just, um, just turn the entire venue into something that's going to, like, basically made people not know which direction to walk out afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And, uh, Break me. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd basically turn a venue, I'd, I'd, I'd hold a festival in a planetarium. That'd be fucking brilliant. That'd be good. I'd and be um, yeah, so basically I'd, I'd just create a huge planetarium and get like really spaced out bands. Like, I'd get them, I'd get the all the Tampa bands like to do that Waste of Space also we did at Roadburn last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just basically come in and just you're going to come out and your DNA will be changed. So I, I pick bands on that thing. The other, the other thing, I will also, I always want to play a little game like, what would I, who would I book for Roadburn that you wouldn't think about, but would be amazing for Roadburn? And on my non-metal tip, I would love to see David Silver play live again. It's like the first band I ever got, the first band, live band I ever saw, uh, something that's like, the reason I want to write for magazines because he was on the cover of a magazine uh, when he was in Japan. And just like they're like like basically Japan Davidson is my alpha and omega and he's so reclusive now. I would just yeah, whatever he needs to come out of out of solitude and, and go on the stage, I would just give him that. Just give him it. Yeah. <laughs> Roadburn. Yeah, I, I could totally see him at Roadburn. I know so many like metalheads, like you all the Akaku guys are obsessed with Japan and David Sylvian. Right. Um, the whole eighties thing that's coming back, they defined a lot of that Japan defined a lot of that aesthetic. Uh, so if you have no idea who Japan are, just jump on Spotify and check out what. Uh, yeah, what and and check out Secrets of the Beehive by David Sylvian. It's beautiful, and he was this huge pop star. They were number five in the charts, and um, and then he just went off and did these kind I mean, of avant-garde stuff. The people that did Baby Cakes got a number one one, so they're <laughs> number five in the charts. It's <laughs> yeah, but the, banger though. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. But this this is when you have to sell more than like two thousand. Very b- so, very fair point. You know this this is back kind of. I'm just being sarcastic, really. I know that. No, it would have been in the eighties actually. Um, so who no who was who was on the front cover of the Sun one time? 
Wow. Uh, was it world's most beautiful man scarred for life because of a car accident? Oh, God. Uh, but but so many meltheads and so many people into that whole kind of road burning stuff love David Sudness. You know, in the same way that like people like Scott Walker's, it's like proper mm-hmm. OTF. Wow. Book it. But whoever, if, if whoever does Roadburn has unlimited funds, I don't think so. But yeah. uh, we've got one more question, I think. Uh, Elijah Arnold asks, what do you think of Brent Hines saying he hates being in Mastodon? Well, that's not what he said. That's not what he says. I've got some quotes from that. It was quite a bit of a rant, to be fair. This is, this is just a... Uh, I can't remember who the interview was with now, but he's... This is some quotes that he's got. More talking about he doesn't hate being a Mastodon. I think, you, I think it's the music industry. Yeah, he's talking about the music industry. He's taking umbrage with. Um, but it's um, what I really want to do and what I hope people will let me do is take some fucking time off and let me breathe. That's how shitty the music industry is because you've got to work your dick into the dirt before you can see any worms. That's a fucking great sentence. Uh, it's definitely the most brutal job I've ever had. I'll definitely rather frame houses again. Because I think he's... He's on to say he doesn't want people, you know, looking at me. He doesn't want to be famous. He doesn't give a shit. And he says he's going to take time off, uh, or he doesn't want to play music for a year or two. Mm. Uh, and, it, and going on with another thing he said, sorry, because working your dick into the dirt, I quite like. He says uh, when the opportunity is there and you strike it and have this, they, and then they milk you. Talking about the industry, I feel like I'm being milked like a dry hyena titty. Wow. So I have nothing left for it. So anymore. he's basically fed up of some of the inner workings of the music industry it sounds like and it sounds like he feels like the band are under pressure to put music out and to be on the conveyor belt that is the music industry and it sounds like he really doesn't like being a person of high profile either no, I, think so. I think it's like you know some bands when they go they go from being underground to being like huge you know obviously um, Nirvana being the case in point you find yourself in a place you never expected to be at. Be at. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, especially Mastodon could have never expected to be winning level. Grammys. No. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That can't have been on their radar, realistically. Yeah. But also, I, I remember, like, so, I think it was, um, would have been about 2007, 2008, I did an Access All Days piece for Mount Hammer with them in Manchester. And I was walking around with, with Brent Hines and uh, you know, so many people coming up to him and asked him if it kind of bothered him at the time. And it was like, you know, it was weird for him having that all the time. He's like, no man, it goes with the job. So he, he's obviously gone on a journey, you know, yeah, since then. As far as like but, but also that's going from being recognised at a gig he's playing yeah. to, you know, now, I mean, Mastodon are probably one of the biggest bands to ever come out of Atlanta. Like how many bigger bands and artists have come out of Georgia? I mean, obviously I'm talking like heavy rock bands here. Mm. So they're probably local celebrities to a lot of people. Yeah. And he's very recognisable. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like that band are a really recognisable band. They're not just like standard long haired metalhead dudes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously just not very happy with um, the way Mastodon are a, a positioned at the moment from a working point of view. I actually had a, uh, I did an interview with Ben from Austin Alexandria a few weeks ago that we're going to um, have in the mag in a few weeks time. Uh, when he talks about something very similar and the the attitude that the industry, whether it's us in the media or the people working the bands or you know management or labels or whoever it is, um, there's still a very unhealthy dynamic between how looked after artists are and the workload they are supposed to do, the kind of status they have, the um, the way they're supposed to project themselves as rock stars or whatever. Uh, it's, it's interesting to get a little look inside um, how art, some artists feel about the way they are getting treated and the way they are being positioned, I guess. Mm. It's, 
it's almost it's sort of weird. It's not weird to see Mastodon uh, in this position because you know they say they are one of the biggest bands in metal. Really, yeah, they're a festival. They're the headline Bloodstock and stuff. Yeah, but like you don't feel like they're a band that are always shoved in your face and that they're always something on the go. No, I mean, and it, you know. It's it's important to point out this is one person's opinion. No, and, no, of course. And, you know, the guy, the people, as far as I know, the people that work with Mastodon, at least the level I'm aware of, are, are you know, good friends with them, know them really well, I've known them for years. Um, so I'm not sure exactly who he's taken umbrage at, but, but he well, seems to not like the schedule that they have to yeah. get back in the studio every yeah. 18 months and get back to work and that kind of stuff but also you know they're playing a lot of like huge arena shows in the US that we might not, not always know about you know mm-hmm. they're playing like huge bands like Slayer or, or Primus or whatever you know who are huge over there so there's, there's probably like a lot of kind of arena shows that not quite as visible to us mm. yeah I think as well the whole circle of like you know you release an album you talk for two years you get back in the studio again that you know when he says it's the most brutal job I've ever had you know it's not physically it probably is quite physically taxing as well as mentally taxing that you literally just don't have any time just to sit and put your feet up and watch Netflix it's it's Mm. just like yeah you're out there doing you know playing every night and then you're back in the studio doing it exactly being forced into being creative which is probably the hardest part and the thing is also important to point out that to the average metal fan, Mastodon are a very big band, they play big venues, but you know, these aren't a bunch of millionaires who can just roll about fucking about yes, doing what they want. Yeah. Um, they need to work, they need to make money, they need to support themselves. They're not pulling in, they, I can tell you right now, Mastodon won't be pulling in some massive wage where they can no. be comfortable and just take it easy. They will have to be getting out and working and, and keeping on it. And you know, the, the, the music scene can be a very, taxing and dangerous place for people whatever you're doing in it so but it just I hope he, uh, if, he, if he's really where he says he is and that's the kind of time off him and potentially the rest of that need I hope that that's what they get yeah I hope so too because just because reading the rest, of the rest of it it's quite a, a lengthy uh, a rant he has uh, it does sound like he's you know not you know in a basically a good place and, and wants and just wants time off and yeah hopefully someone would give it to him and yeah. the last album as well Emperor of Sand was a really emotionally taxing album for them yeah, you know there was a yeah. lot of stuff going on with those guys with their families and everything else and you know, lots of lost some people and uh, you know they're probably knackered and emotionally exhausted I imagine yeah you can't really blame them we'll see what happens thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the Metal Hammer podcast we'll be back next week where we will be reviewing Ghost at the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. Holy shit. Can't wait. I genuinely don't know the last time, uh, maybe apart from Maiden this year, I don't know if I've been more excited about a single gig this whole year. Actually, I was at a gig on Friday at the Royal, at the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, really? A very non-metal thing, a guy called Yusundor. Oh, cool. But John Poe is playing, and um, so I like a little kind of world music. But of course, just remember, like they've got the huge organ right Yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. So just, oh, it's going to be amazing. I can't think of a better modern big metal band to put in that venue. It's no. going to be wild, and it's the first time any of us will have seen the the new songs live. Oh as well. shit! It actually is. Isn't I know. Yeah. When that sax solo comes, man, yeah. <laughs> I'm proud surfing. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be wild. So we will be reviewing that on the podcast next week, as well as unveiling the brand new issue of Metal Hammer. It's a biggie. A first time ever cover for an artist on this issue. Exciting times. Uh, The latest issue of Metal Hammer featuring Disturbed is still on sale. Go buy it and we will be unveiling a special Disturbed bundle uh, either later this week or first thing early next week. Keep them peeled to metalhammer.com. 
don't forget to come join us on the Readers Group. Subscribe on iTunes and Acast and uh, leave us a review as well. Tell us how much you love us. <laughs> Loads. Loads. See you next week, everybody. Bye. Bye.